0: Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7...
2: Oh, I'm doing great, Jeremy. Thanks for asking. It's been a heck of a morning, though.
1: Well, I knew when uh, whenever I signed on with you and you were uh, eating a chicken wing as fast as you possibly could, it must have been a pretty rough day around the uh, operator. Oh yeah.
2: Road. Oh well, I started at five thirty this morning. I was in the Endo Clinic and I did twenty four or twenty six procedures in uh, about seven hours, so it was just crazy. So
1: you were rolling turnover, turnover.
2: Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, that's what it's all about. So I got it done. I got
1: it
0: done. and Run in and
2: here we are.
1: That's right. Well, we have a wonderful guest and I think another great show lined up today. We have with us today, Dr. Prasad. Dr. Prasad, welcome.
3: Well, oh, thank you, Jeremy. Uh, uh, hello, Sharon. How are you? I'm sorry about your hectic
1: schedule.
2: Well, you know how it goes.
1: Well, we're going to be talking about a topic today, Sharon. I know that you're intimately involved with on a daily basis, and that is surgical procedures. And Dr. Prossa, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background? And then if you want to introduce our topic, that would be great as well.
3: Yeah, thank you, Jeremy. Uh been a practicing surgeon for 30 years. And my history really starts with coming to this country. I was born in India and came here uh, when I was a year old in 1962. And we came by ship uh, on a 30-day journey, which was common at that time. And very interesting, my mom was telling me the other day, she said, you know, Sanjay, the reason we came here was we were looking for a solution to a healthcare problem in the family we were looking for a surgeon. Isn't that amazing that we were? We went halfway across the world to try to find a surgeon and a solution? So I grew up in the Washington DC area, became a surgeon, trained here, and began my practice. I've uh, been 30 years into practice now and helped tens of thousands of patients. But now I want to help patients get connected to the best in class surgeon in their network and avoid unnecessary surgeries, and have the best possible outcomes that they can achieve.
2: What kind of surgeon are you, Dr. Prasad?
3: So my, my field is called neurotology. And so I'm board certified in ENT, otolaryngology, and did three fellowships at University of Pittsburgh in neurotology and skull-based surgery. So what that means for the layperson is tumors that involve the uh, inner ear, the brain, cholesteatoma, which are skin collections in the middle ear, facial nerve issues, cochlear implants. That's the kind of microsurgery I've been involved in for about 30 years now. Two fellowships
2: weren't enough. You had to do three fellowships. Uh, I (laughs) believe we've got us an overachiever here, Jeremy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when I started reading the bio, I felt the same way, but we're happy about that. And, you know, the topic today we're really going to be talking about is you have kind of put together, I'm not going to say for lack of a better terms, a system, but a way for folks to find out who is the best surgeon given their particular situation. And I I really want to unpack that today because I think that's a a much needed service out there that, you know, a lot of, when you say laypersons, you know, I, I think Sharon and I were talking about this beforehand, you know, you go in today, you're having a colonoscopy and they find, you know, a tumor in there. And typically that person is going to go to whoever, you know, that particular person, that doctor who was doing the colonoscopy recommends them. But that might not always be the correct choice for them. So I'd love to unpack that a little bit more and and hear kind of your viewpoint around uh, some of the things you're doing.
3: Jeremy, you hit it right on the head. The problem as I see it, especially in the surgical world, is the referral's. And what's happening today, you know, you go see your primary care doctor, uh, you have a condition, it warrants a surgical opinion, you get some diagnostic imaging, and he refers you to a surgeon who not necessarily has the best qualifications, but the referral has been made on the basis of habit. It's been made on the basis of a referral nurse uh, that has a list of specialists that they usually refer to. Maybe the specialists are in the same medical office building. They have familiarity with that surgeon. But the referral is not being made on the basis of cost, and it's not being made on the basis of quality. And what I mean by that is the surgeon's outcomes. How many of these procedures the surgeon has performed? What's the complication rate? What's the success rate? Patients are totally blinded. You know, they have a, a Blue Cross Blue Shield card, a Cigna card, United Healthcare card. They have a whole network of surgeons to pick from, but they get referred to and pigeonholed to a certain surgeon. And the result is this. Patients are getting unnecessary surgery at an alarming rate. Hmm. Depending on specialty, 15 to 30% of procedures performed today are unnecessary. Patients are also suffering from complications from unnecessary surgery. Patients are also getting connected to surgeons who don't necessarily have the best outcomes, having infections, wrong sized implants put in, needing revision surgery, scar tissue. The system is a bit out of control. What we're doing with surgery quality is we're turning the tables. So the healthcare system competes to take care of you. It just makes a ton of sense to us.
2: Well, why don't you talk a little bit about surgery quality, the, what you've set up, and how it works? Give us some specifics
3: around that. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Surgery quality was an idea that I started, you know, in 2014. But to give you some background, in 2007, I opened a surgery center and bundled a lot of the costs related to surgical procedures. So we were able to combine the surgeon fee, facility fee, anesthesia fee, for those who don't know, bundled all-inclusive pricing. It was very attractive. Patients had high deductible health plans. Patients had no insurance. It was really doing well. And that system was working extremely well. And I thought to myself, you know, what we're missing is the surgeon outcomes. Every surgeon thinks they have the best outcomes, but do they really? So in 2014, we started Surgery Quality, and the platform has three different components. One is a personalized concierge service that hand holds Mrs. Jones when she's been told she needs surgery. We have a medical record distribution platform, all HIPAA compliant. And with her permission, we gather her medical records, gather her MRI from the radiology facility where she had it. We upload these records to the cloud and then we send the records and distribute the records to qualified surgeons in her network. They're all within her network they get a chance to see her records, validate necessity, so important, enter their past experience, number of cases they've done, success rates, complication rates, and also all-inclusive pricing with their facility. So then Mrs. Jones, from the comfort of her home, gets multiple opinions, gets a list of surgeons that have seen her case and have opined on her case, and she's able to He's empowered with tools to compare surgeons and make well-informed decisions. Why wasn't the system built this way? It should have started this way. Wow!
1: No, no, you've hit the nail on the head. I completely agree with this. I mean, this is taking everything that's wrong with healthcare and trying to make it right. I mean, I, you know, I really love this idea. I guess you know the first question in in my head. Is one where do you get your data? And I don't mean specifically. I just mean how do you do it? And are, are is every surgeon in the country, you know, willing to do this? Take their time, look at the records, give that opinion. How does that work exactly?
3: Well, Jeremy, uh, there's a whole movement right now with value-based healthcare. Right. And you know, CMS started this with uh, their joint programs, uh, which got curtailed at the end of last year or maybe the year before, but there's a whole movement. And I can tell you that we're going to be moving away from fee-for-service to value-based healthcare. It's it's inevitable. So it behooves every surgeon to start gathering their data, how many cases they've done last year of the most common procedures, develop a metric, a quality measure for success and complication measures, and to start to access and aggregate that data on an individual basis. What we're doing at search Quality is we're asking the surgeon their qualities questions. That is how many they've done, what's your success rate, what's your complication rate. And then we're taking that data and the market is asking for validated data, mm-hmm. not self-reported data. So we are corroborating that data with their medical record. And then we're comparing the cohort of surgeons and grading them appropriately with one star to five stars. And if surgeons don't want to report, Jeremy, that's all nice and fine, but the patients will be left to wonder why. Right. And I think, you know, we need to bring more quality transparency to the marketplace and to the consumer. So they make well-informed decisions. Don't you think?
1: Absolutely. Without a doubt. Let me
2: ask another question real quick about the data. You said it's not self-reported, but they're gathering it. And I'll give you an example where I'm going with this because I, I do a lot of GI. Well, GI docs follow all their data. It is uploaded into a system called GI Quick that they started years ago. I would assume that GI docs were ahead of the curve as far as that is concerned. But is there anything like that for surgeons where well, they upload their data? I, I don't know that answer.
3: So we consider gastroenterologists surgeons, so that we consider them surgeons, uh, not just proceduralists. So yes, GI Quick is way ahead of its time. You know, they're collecting data on volume, they're collecting data on polyps, they're collecting their adenoma detection rate, that is how often a surgeon will find an adenoma or a tumor, because as you know, Sharon, a good colonoscopist will find tumors about 20% of the time or greater. And if their adenoma detection rate is less than 20%, they're missing tumors. They're going too fast. They're doing 20 cases in a morning. (laughs) They're going too fast and they're missing tumors. And that can be awfully catastrophic, right? To the patient, right? Just makes a ton of sense. We're going to ask very basic questions when we start. Volume is going to be key, um, and then we'll probably ask one or two other quality questions about centering around success and complications. So that's how we plan on uh, starting in the marketplace.
1: Well, you know, I kind of want to digress for just, just a moment and, and go back and, and talk about, you know, COVID and how has that changed the landscape of healthcare today?
3: Well, Jeremy, uh, it dovetails right into my uh, my the book that I wrote, uh, Resetting Healthcare Post-COVID-19 Pandemic, The Patient Handbook. Of course, the COVID pandemic has been a horror for families throughout the planet, no question. But there are some things that came out of that that changed healthcare forever. The first thing that happened is that surgeries were put on hold in 2020. Sharon, you remember this. And a lot of procedures were triaged. All of a sudden you couldn't have surgery unless it was really urgent. Right. So there's this surgical pause. And, and the other thing that happened, of course, is telehealth took off in a very big way to the point where today you can have a virtual visit with any practitioner, any surgeon. It's possible. It wasn't possible many years ago, but with masking, vaccination, uh, although there's a concern about variants, you know, now the system is starting to open up. Surgery scheduling is starting to get restored to its pre pandemic level in 2021 and beyond. There's going to be an explosion of cases being scheduled. Uh, it's a great time to reset healthcare. What do I mean by that? It's a great time for patients to pause. That is, they've been told they need surgery by a surgeon but they really need to pause and then ask some difficult questions of their surgeon. Doctor, do I really need this surgery? Doctor, are there alternatives to surgery? What would happen to me if I didn't have surgery? And then they need to ask quality questions of the surgeon. They need to get smarter uh, and we need to give them intelligent information. Don't you think?
1: Absolutely. You know, I think again, This is what, you know, we're hearing out of Washington. I mean, you know, you you talked about the values-based pricing and and kind of where we're going. I mean, we all see the writing on the wall. I mean, whether you believe in a one-payer system or you think there's going to be some other anomaly that comes out of this, it's all going to come down to cost and quality and how do you get the utmost quality for the least cost. And that's where we're going with this, whether it's the consumer making those decisions as you've pointed out, or whether it's the health insurer, or the government, somebody is going to make those decisions as we move forward, especially when you've got a healthcare system that is as costly as ours in the United States, running about 20% of GDP, you know, you, you've you got to start making some of these hard decisions. Now, I'm sure there are people out there that want to keep the status quo, and, and I'll let you talk about that in just a minute, but, you know, we were talking beforehand just even about the, the referral process and the flaws in that. I mean, there's a a lot of flaws in healthcare right now. And as we kind of get into that, where do you think all this is headed as we come to, you know, all these crossroads, you know, cost versus quality? Where are we going with all this?
3: Well, you know, this platform that we're talking about, Surgery Quality, is not a platform for all surgeons. It's only a platform for high-performing surgeons. Surgeons who are willing to look at the cost of their care who are willing to work in facilities, perhaps in a surgery center or an endo suite, Sharon? As you as you mentioned earlier, and reduce the total cost of the service, and demonstrate best outcomes. That is high ADR. Whether it's colonoscopy, you know, whether whatever metric you may want to use. And we we talk about gallbladder surgery. We talk about bile duct injury rate. You know, we talk about hemorrhage to the point where. You have to open the abdomen to get control. You know, these metrics are gonna be extremely important. So we're looking for lower cost, high quality surgeons with best outcomes. That's where uh, our sweet spot is. And that a successful surgeon on our platform will show those attributes.
0: Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim. And most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself, and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients, to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call him at 504-394-6557.
2: Let me ask you a question, and this has always been something I've wondered about because you and I both understand that some patients come into the equation at different levels. Um, America's not the healthiest population in the world, as we both know, how does that affect outcomes? Because if you come into an equation as a ASA class four versus uh, ASA one, you know you're more likely to have a have some issues post-op, and it might not have anything to do with the the surgeon. And their capabilities is just what the patient brought to the table. How do you handle that in outcomes? And there may not be a good answer to that. It's just something I've always wondered about.
3: Well, you know, this is what I hear from surgeons all the time, Sharon. I hear, you know, I only handle the the hardest cases or the most difficult cases. So my metrics are going to be off. I hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. But we've got to come to a point, Sharon, where we're starting to compare apples to apples. So what do I mean by that? You know, tell me how many gallbladders you did last year, but tell me how many people you had with a BMI of a certain range. Those are the only ones I'm interested in because the patient that I'm talking about has a BMI in this range. I'm not interested in your experience with morbidly obese patients with, uh, with cholecystectomy. I'm interested in a BMI range that's in line with the patient that we're talking about. So in other words, one one surgeon came to me and said, you know, Sanjay, I do a lot of malignant tumors of the parotid gland, the gland around your ear. And so my facial nerve paralysis rate is horrendous. I said, "I, I understand that. I have a patient here with a benign mixed tumor, a benign tumor. I'm not asking about your malignant cases. Tell me about your benign cases. How many patients did you have with benign tumors last year? So we're qualifying the question. It's so critical. Otherwise, you won't be able to compare apples to apples. I think I made my point.
2: Let me ask you something going down that that rabbit hole. So if there's a surgeon who wants to be included in surgery quality, do you help them and guide them on what metrics they need to be pulling?
3: Absolutely. Yeah, we do guide them. We will give them common procedures that they do and the quality measures they should be looking at. It's going to be easy to do it early on, year one, year two, year three, year four. It'll get even more complex to the point where we're really honing in on quality like nobody's business and providing transparency to the patient, which is so desperately needed, Sharon.
2: That's that's true. Jeremy and I were talking before you popped on here, and you know nobody ever gets a second opinion. Rarely, nobody is is, is too much, but most people do not. They just trust that their referring physician will know. And I had given Jeremy the example. We found a couple of tumors today while I was at work in the endo suite, and I asked well, who do you refer your patients to? And knowing that I was going to be doing this interview with you today, and he said, well, I refer to the one who has the best outcomes. And I said, well, how do you know if they have good outcomes? How is that tracked? And he said, well, if I never see the patient again, then it was a good outcome. And I'm like, well, I'm not really sure that that's, the best way to do it. And I have another endo doc that I work with. And I asked him the same question after we had decided we were going to have this conversation with you. And I do work at an area hospital also. And he was referring to a physician I not I would not have necessarily chosen because I'm in the operating room and I see skill sets, I guess you could say. Now, I will say I don't necessarily see outcomes because after they leave my care, I usually don't see them, but I still know a surgeon's skill set whenever I'm in there. And, you know, I, I base that on how much blood they lose or the, you know, how the patient does in the operating room. I know how a surgeon is, <laughs> you know, there's an old saying, a good surgeon needs a good anesthetist, a bad surgeon needs an excellent anesthetist because we'll <laughs> keep you from killing them.
3: <laughs> well, you so, know, that, that, that brings me to the story I've got to talk to you about because there was a surgeon in an academic center, and it's in my book, this story, who was doing gallbladder surgery, and he, he was very very well known, and he was getting cases referred from all over the world, right? And it's very interesting. The surgeon trained at the time of open, you know, gallbladder surgery. So he, he would open the abdomen to get control. That's the time that he trained. He learned laparoscopic skills during his practice. And it was very interesting because he was losing a lot of blood and there would be transfusions. The best anesthesiologist would always do his cases. And then finally, one day there was a death from hemorrhage and that shook the whole hospital. So patients, you know, think they're getting the best care, going to name brand institutions, but are they seeing the experienced surgeon with best outcomes, Are they seeing the fellow that just finished his training? Are they seeing the scientist clinician who's spending four days a week doing basic science research, one day doing clinical? You know, these are all things that patients don't even know, don't even think about. But these are the realities of medicine today. And remember, the third leading cause of death in the United States is medical errors.
1: Wow. I didn't realize that. Third leading cause of death. Sharon, did you know that?
2: Yes, sir.
1: Wow. Wow. I did not know that. That's really. Well,
2: interesting. Uh, more than guns, or it's huh. pretty close.
1: <laughs> right. Pants Maybe we don't
2: need gun control. We need surgeon <laughs> control. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That'd be a great T-shirt, Sajay. You should come up with that. I, I like that.
3: <laughs> oh, Sharon. you got to be in certain parts of the country. <laughs>
2: that is true.
1: Well, that is true.
2: That, that'll be your T-shirt, Dr. Prasad. You know, surgeon quality or gun control or surgeon control. <laughs>
1: Uh, so Sanjay, I've got a, another question about this cause it, it's just popping in my head. Like who pays for this to be in surgical quality? Is it the surgeon? Is it the, the end user consumer or insurance companies hopping on the bus with you? I mean, how does that work? So we're
3: selling this platform, Jeremy, to self-insured employers. Okay. And although fully insured employers can use the platform as well, but it's the self-insured employers that are ascribing to the service and paying a subscription fee uh, per employee per month. We don't charge the surgeons. We don't charge the surgery centers or hospitals. You know, look, our aim is to lower the cost, right? That's that's where our aim is, and to improve the quality scoring. And I can tell you that even the big major insurers are very interested in what we're doing. Mm -hmm. They they also want to connect their members to the best-in-class surgeons in their network. So... We're all on the same page. This is a win-win-win all around.
0: Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com.
1: What percentage, and you might not know this, but I'll just throw it out there, in the U.S. of companies are self-insured, You know, since that seems to be a little bit of a target market?
3: It used to be that all companies, basically over the 500 employee mark, uh, were 95% self-insured. Um, I think it's getting closer to 98%, and I can tell you that even the smaller companies with 100 employees are finding themselves in a self-insured environment. So it's just making a ton of sense to try to control costs, cost containment measures, and improve quality scoring. So, I mean, the population is is pretty vast, um, and we have a situation where we've got a Fortune one hundred company that wants to use our platform. Uh, we're very excited in the coming months of what what's going to happen. You know, there's just a lot of excitement in our company.
1: So, so just for our listeners who might not exactly understand the self-insured side of things you know my understanding of this and it's not very vast but basically you've got a, a larger employer who decides to cover up to a certain amount of healthcare dollars per year out of their own pocket and then they have like a reinsurer if they go over that amount is that kind of the the gist of the way it works
3: Yeah, you got it. I mean, the premium dollars flow into, and this is what I talk about to surgeons who don't understand want to understand, right, premium dollars from the employer and employees flow into a capital reserve account, and it's protected by a reinsurance or a stop loss, you can call it stop loss. And there's typically a a third-party administrator or an ASO with an insurance plan that administers the claims and pays the claims out from that capital reserve account. So it's a whole dynamic process, uh, and it, it can be either insurance company controlled, which we called an ASO, or it can be called an independent TPA-type uh, system, where a TPA kind of has control over, over how the, uh, the plan functions. So uh, they're two different basic different ways.
1: Well, as you were just talking, my, my other initial thought is, have you ever thought of uh, going up to Capitol Hill and explaining this to them so that, you know, maybe Medicare would get your services and and do the same thing or you think they'd kind of steal your idea and you know run with it on their own and and you know how well they are at implementing ideas so uh. (laughs) we're,
3: we're, we're here to implement the the solution so medicare is very interested in the platform they just want to see a scale yeah and that's all nice and fine the medicaid population would do very very well with this you know there's no population that's uh that won't do well. I mean, internationally, uh, the UK with the NHS, they would do well. Germany definitely could use some help. You know, this is a great system. It's a wonderful system.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think it's very interesting. Sharon.
2: I'm sure you're tracking your metrics about how much the cost savings are. So when you market your idea to these companies you already have that data uh, it might be new data can you expound on that or share some of that information with us
3: yeah based on the information we have so far to date we're able to save about $3000 per surgical procedure and please remember that when i say cost of a surgical procedure i'm including surgeon fee facility fee which is a big part of it anesthesia fee which is a very small part of it pathology fee. I mean, we're including, we're, it's all inclusive, but I will tell you that most of the savings, Sharon, are occurring from changing the site of service, from a, a hospital system to a surgery center center. So to a surgery center, that's where the, the main savings is occurring. And of course there are implants and, you know, number of shoulder anchors they're putting in, you know, is it necessary? Is it not necessary? Some are more conservative, some are more liberal, you know. It's all across the board, but that's the advantage we have right now in terms of price competition.
1: So I'm, you know, I'm I'm looking at all this and, you know, I'm I'm looking at you Sanjay and it seems like your life has kind of come full circle at this point. You know, here you are coming to the U.S. and, you know, you're coming here for medical reasons and, uh, you know, trying to find the right surgeon. And here you're a surgeon and now you're developing this system out to, uh, you know, make sure that other folks are getting the correct surgeon for them. And, I, you know, I, I applaud you for doing this. This is a, a very noble uh, I mean, hopefully for me, I hope you make money off of it at some point as well, but, but it's very noble and, you know, you don't find many people that, uh, that have done that. And I would like to hear a little bit more about your book, Resetting Healthcare. You know, we've talked about a really small sliver here and, and I know we've just got a few more minutes with you, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and um, the whole idea behind it.
3: The idea behind it was to educate consumers. It's the patient handbook. So it's for patients to understand you know what's happening in the marketplace today what happened with covid the changes in healthcare that happened the opportunities that are before us to improve the system right and Jeremy you put it right on the right on the head you know look i'm 60 years old right and and i want to leave a healthcare system we can be proud of for the next generation that's what it's all about it's about leaving something behind for your kids, your grandkids, uh, so the system works for them. You know, that's the whole mission.
2: Let me ask you another question about surge quality itself. How long did it take you to build this platform? Sharon, you know,
3: it, it took a while. I'll tell you why. We started in 14, but you know, the cloud wasn't ready. The healthcare cloud was just developed. It became HIPAA compliant recently. Electronic medical records hadn't been around. I mean, we meaningful use helped with the development of electronic medical records to the point where it's implemented. Virtual visits are now here because of COVID. It's the development of the whole ecosystem of healthcare IT that's allowed this to happen, Sharon. The time is now. There's no question.
1: Absolutely, Shane. You know, we always talk about this. You know, this is we're we're at a crossroads. You know, where do we go from here? Again, back to what you said: values based, cost versus outcomes. These are things that you know a lot of physicians in general haven't had to do, and I imagine that there are folks out there that you know are given a lot of pushback on this because they're having to track and they're having to disclose. Stuff that they might not have wanted seen out there before. I mean, my wife is a, a CRNA as well, Sanjay. And, you know, I hear her kind of even to Sharon's point, you know, she was telling me about today at, at work. And there's this one particular surgeon, and she said, Gosh, he, he's horrible. You know, he, for a, an hour long procedure, it takes him three hours. And, you know, it's like he's not a very good surgeon. And I have a feeling that the more this gets disclosed out there, people that that might not be as good they're gonna feel a little crunch from this
3: Jeremy they will feel a crunch but you know the system what we're all about re-education you know maybe a surgeon who doesn't have the best outcomes maybe they need some proctoring or maybe some retraining come on you know they, they've spent quite a few years of their life getting to a certain spot in their career right and maybe they just you know haven't kept up and I've got to believe there's plenty of opportunity to retrain and to improve their quality scoring and, and what a beautiful benefit that is for the rest of the country. Absolutely. So
2: what would you like to leave our listeners with as we wrap up here?
3: Your listeners, as I understand it, is uh, mostly uh, CRNAs and hospital uh, workers and hospitalists and uh, surgery center personnel. Is that, is it? Do I read that correctly?
1: Yes, yes, that's the majority.
3: Yeah, I think that uh, the message I would leave is this. You know, we could, we could sit here and value-based health care will come before us by the government. And they won't understand the system. They won't understand healthcare, care. And they'll put rules before us that will be untenable. Or we can take the bull by the horns. And we can look at our own quality scoring, our own success measures, and complication measures, start aggregating and taking less performing surgeons or facilities and make them better so that we can build the value-based care system from within. That makes a ton of sense to me. I'll leave you with that thought.
2: Yeah, well, I would challenge you to think the government's already doing that anyway. So I applaud you for starting from the inside out.
1: I agree. I mean, you know, I think there is a lot in this uh, short 30 minutes that we've been together. But, you know, our, our listeners that want to learn more can get Dr. Prasad's book, Resetting Healthcare. And we will put that in the show notes along with a link to his company and contact information. You know, a lot of our CRNAs obviously know a lot of surgeons out there. and Maybe they'll pass the word along and, you know, maybe we can start uh, help start uh, even more of the movement that you've already done. Great. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. Thank you for being on today. Thank you for the the great work that you're doing out there, not, you know, not only for patients, but it sounds like even for humanity in general, and you seem to have a a really good heart and driving factor for this and that comes across. I want to thank you for that today as well. Sharon, I think it's a wrap.
2: I think so. So
1: we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and
2: Sharon Pierce.
1: I thought you forgot your name for a minute there. You paused on me.
2: Only for a second. worried me
1: for a minute.
2: <laughs> that privilege really working for me now. <laughs> All
1: right. So if our listeners want to know more about our show and, and help us out, Sharon, how can they do that?
2: Uh, well, one of the best ways they can help us is to leave us a review because it pushes us up in the algorithm, but only if it's
1: positive. There's enough negativity in the world.
2: Absolutely.
1: All right. Until next time.
2: It's a wrap.
0: As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living, by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families.
1: Sharon, the season of Christmas and giving is upon us again.
2: Yes, it is, and it keeps coming around quicker and quicker.
1: It certainly does, and during this giving season, you and I and our listeners have an opportunity to give two ways at once. As many of you know, Sharon and I support the ANA Foundation, and I currently serve on their board. The Foundation is a charitable organization devoted to anesthesia research, education, and development
2: all of which are very important to our profession.
1: That's exactly right, Sharon, and it's the very reason to donate. However, we wanted to let you know that you can give to the Foundation during this season in someone's honor as a tribute, or if you've lost a loved one, a donation in their memory. The Foundation will send a card to the family letting them know that you've done this.
2: What a lovely way to memorialize someone. You know, I will be donating in memory of my precious granddaughter, Emma Kate Brick, and that we lost this year. Also, as we're taping this, we found out we lost an icon to this profession, Patrick Downey, a former AANA president. Another way to memorialize him is to donate to the foundation.
1: Yes, Sharon, and I really hate we didn't get an opportunity to have Patrick on the podcast. That was always our plan. It's just so sad. If you'd like to donate, just go to the ANA Foundation within the AANA website under Ways to Give and Donate in Tribute or in Memory and help your profession.
2: Thanks so much, and Merry Christmas from myself and Jeremy.